Well, I still don't know what I'm going to talk about this morning. I, uh, the, uh, we talked last time about meditation, but there's something I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, I guess we could tie it into meditation uh, somehow, but... Actually, I had notes as to how to tie it into meditation. <laughs> but I don't think I'll do that. I think I'll just talk about it, and then if there's some time left over, we'll talk a little bit more about meditation. It is, of course, meditation in a sense that... Uh, well, have you heard the uh, phrase, all of life is a meditation? <laughs> <laughs> This is something that we, it's, it's the kind of sentence that we pay lip service to. Isn't that right? Because I actually saw some of you nod your heads. All of life is a meditation. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Lip service. I guess church isn't the place to go into that, but that is an interesting, it's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Um, but uh, all of life is a meditation. Um, you don't really believe that, do you? Uh, if you're hit by a bus, Gail and I, I think I told you, we were actually hit by a bus uh, New Year's Eve in San Francisco about, uh, let's see, we will, we will have been married 18 years this month, so that was about 16 years ago. Uh, is that a meditation? Well, of course, it can be looked at properly. And I remember my first experience with potholes, one of my first experiences with potholes in uh, Santa Fe. There was one on Palace Avenue. I don't know if, if, if any of you can remember it, but it was, <laughs> it was a memorable. A truck fell into it, and all you could see was its bed. <laughs> Uh, that, I guess, could be a meditation, <laughs> falling into a pothole. Um, or you walk into the health food store, and they're out of pomegranate juice. As a matter of fact, you ask, and the, the guy that's there doesn't even know about You don't know about pomegranate juice? What do you mean, what does it do? It purifies the kidneys. That's what it does. What do you mean? Let me see your ID. <clears throat> so I guess that could be a meditation. They're out of it. They're often out of it at Santa Fe. Have you noticed that? <laughs> they're either out of the store or they're out of what you went. <laughs> Being honked at could be a meditation by a sneezer being honked at by a sneezer or by a car I guess. germs 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 anything can be a meditation if our mind is strong then we can look at it uh, like some funny book that we read or some Marx Brothers movie or 
Cheech and Chong or something like that. Anything can be looked at as a meditation, even when your or <laughs> can be looked at as a meditation. If your mind is strong. Now, last time we talked about, I gave you uh, actually uh, 12 forms of meditation because we began with one in particular. And then we went on to uh, 11 others during the service. And uh, it is true that we think of a meditation as somehow different than everything else. We think of it as requiring a specific amount of time and we can actually tell ourselves and others how much time we are devoting to meditation. That's how categorized we have the subject of meditation or prayer. We think that uh, it is a different kind of activity than the ones I just mentioned. And we often feel guilty because we haven't done enough of it. And so I want to talk this morning about how can you bring meditation into every aspect of your life. You see, I am working this in. Have you noticed that? And in doing this, we're going to talk about what we did couple of Sunday, Sundays ago, maybe three Sundays ago, about doing everything that you do during the day with certainty, with sureness. Now, the difficulty in speaking about this subject is that most people, most of you, do not realize that you are not doing anything yet without conflict. Let's just take frying an egg. Do you think it is possible in 1983 to eat a fried egg without conflict? You would have to have been living in a hole ever since you were born in order not to have picked up what are you cooking it in? Does it have little juices of aluminum on it? Uh, what about the oil that you use? What kind of oil? What does the heat do to the oil? Have you asked yourself that question? <laughs> It began all natural and good, but then you heated it in this metal pan. Do you know what went into the metal? And then, of course, there's the egg. Do you know where eggs come from? I'm not going to get graphic, but... <laughs> And then there's the little shell of the egg and, uh, and the cholesterol of the egg and so forth. I just, I mean, that's just a fried egg. You can pick anything. Toasting toast. Uh, whatever you want to, watermelon, do you chew the seeds or not? It does. It's not possible, as we said here once before, the only thing that we can truly do without conflict is have a diarrhea attack. <clears throat> when you have a diarrhea attack, 
I'm dwelling on that subject this morning. <laughs> um, when you have a diarrhea attack, you know exactly what to do, and you do it. There's no second thought about it. You see. Aside from that, everything that you do, you do in conflict. So what I would like to suggest that you do, we've su suggested it here before, but I'd like to go into more detail this morning about it, is that you begin looking at your state of mind as you enter any activity whatsoever. And here's what you'll find. You'll find, first of all, that no ma matter how routinely you do this particular thing, or how unusual it is, you're doing it on this occasion because of a swirl of worry that's in your mind that seems completely natural. It seems this is just the way your mind ought to be. And then, out of this swirl of worry, which we've likened here to uh, a field of, of wildflowers, perhaps, in which some busybody bee goes from flower to flower until it finds something that it wants. In such a way, if you will look very closely at your ego, which is what uses our mind most of the time, there's nothing to fear from our mind. Our mind is good and whole and is a part of God. It is absolutely holy. It is completely clean and still. It is pure joy. Your mind, if let alone, will hold you up. It, in fact, will bear you along if you will simply not interfere with it. It is the purest of gifts from God. God, in fact, has given you his mind. That's how holy it is. And that's how holy you are, because you are nothing but a mind, which means that you are everything. But what we do with our mind is that we occupy it in such a way that we have an ego, we have a little personality that we've built, that we've sustained, that we've added to. Perhaps we came into the world with a certain attitude, and often you can see that with uh, newborn babies. Some will be quite passive, <clears throat> some will be aggressive, some will seem to get angry, and some will just take it all, the vitamin K shot and everything, you know. And then, this is sort of added to as we go along. We take our clues from the people around us. We have our little experiences. We begin to see what we think shines and sparkles in other people's personalities. And we make for ourselves a way of being. And after a while... We think this is all there is to us, this way of being. This tired old set of reactions and opinions and attitudes toward everything. Toward the way people look. Toward 
traffic conditions, toward colors, toward certain events, towards weather conditions, toward everything that takes place in the world, we have a pat little reaction. At least it seems that way. On closer examination, you'll notice that your pat little reaction is constantly changing. It's something of which you are completely sure at the moment, but within seconds it is changed. And this is why our mind is always in a state of worry. There is nothing about the ego, there is nothing about this identity that we have established in the world that will allow us to rest. It cannot come to rest because it is not you. It is something that we think of as other than mind. We think we are something other than pure, soft, gentle mind, which is peace, which is love, which is gentleness, which is kindness, which is blessing. We think we are something other than that. And we have within this world quite a rigid little scenario about what this body of ours must go through. And you will not successfully buck that. And you know of no saint who ever attempted to buck it, which is that you are born and that you grow up and that there's a brief flowering period and then that you begin after this period of flourishing to wither and eventually become ore. <laughs> it is a sad little story. <laughs> but we thought, didn't we, during our little flourishing period, that that would never end. And we looked down on people with whom it had begun to end. And now we are grasping at other things to make it justified, to somehow make it all right. Perhaps now we, we turn to position, or eminence, or money, or knowledge, Or looking a few years younger than our age. <laughs> or a thousand other things. Now this sad story, sad only as long as we think it's real, enters into every decision that you make during the day. It is the way you live your life. Except every once in a while. And maybe that every once in a while is the period you call a meditation. So different from all the rest of the day. So hard to find time to do. Is there a way to take that pure as gold moment and use it every place else? Well, of course there is. And I will tell you one way to do it. 
I'm going to give you some steps. There is nothing sacred in the steps. Use any steps you wish. But if you would like some steps, I will suggest some. Some that Gail and I use. How you will come to know that it is possible to have the peace of God forever. How you will come to know that you can go through one whole day in complete peace and happiness, regardless of the potholes or being out of pomegranate juice or any of the other things. It won't make any difference. It won't even make any difference if you become or. I promise you, you will smile as it happens. This is a possibility. It's a possibility for you. Let me tell you one way that you can do it. You must begin by becoming completely familiar with your mind, the way it is set up and is acting at this time. Don't concern yourself with which is your real mind and which is the fictitious ego mind you have made to go along with the fictitious ego personality that you have established in this world. For, of course, your imaginary identity must have its imaginary mind. And so, of course, if you think you are this thing, it must think in a certain way. And so there does appear to be within you a mixture of two minds, and every one that's ever written or spoken on this subject throughout the ages has referred to this very obvious fact. The Apostle Paul distinguished it as the carnal mind, Versus that mind which was also in Christ Jesus, which he said, let it be in you. Let that mind, which was also in Christ Jesus, be in you. There is no inequality. There's no being left out of that statement. There is no hand-me-down mind. There is only one mind, and it remains bright and shining. And the fact that someone has showed us a little of what is possible when we have that mind does not mean that we should not take it up ourselves, thinking that we must be first. You will not be the first person to relinquish his or her ego. There have been a number who have done that already. But all you have to do is look around this world and see how many have not. And so we're not in some sort of race here. This is not a spiritual game that we play intramurally with uh, with the... Uh, Science of Mind Church and the Unity Church and so forth. This is all there is. So first, become familiar with your mind, 
the way you think of it now, the way you see it. Ask no question about it. Do not attempt to understand it. Do not attempt to distinguish between your real mind and your ego mind. It seems to be all mixed up in some sort of soup right now. Don't try to pick out the different parts. Just look at it and see how you react. What is your dominant reaction? What is your primary grounds for making a decision at the moment? There are, of course, an unlimited number of grounds for making a decision. But saving time, or time in general, is, of course, one of the biggies. How often do you do something in order to save time or as a reaction to time, what time it's getting to be? How often have you walked roughly over someone's feelings, some child's feelings, because of time? How often was there censure in your eyes when someone was late? You put time above your sister or your brother. You must come to see that or you will keep doing it. So simply see it. Do not judge yourself. Do not condemn yourself. Just say, oh, how often I put time above everything else. Why time? Or the other biggie is uh, money. Saving money. This will save me money. This will earn me more money. Perhaps you think you're beyond that one. Look a little more closely. I would say it, was, it would be impossible for anyone to be completely beyond being influenced by money in some way. Do not condemn yourself when you see how you are influenced. Do you use your tip to make a statement? Then, of course, money means something, and you... You assume that it means something to the waiter or waitress. Do you use money with your child? Come allowance time. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that. I'm saying to look and see that you do it and to see simply that it's important to you. Convenience. How often do you use that grounds to make a decision as to what you're to do now and how you're to do it? Will this be inconvenient for me in the future if I go this way? Therefore, I will go this other way. Then, of course, just the simple pleasure of the body, which we've we talked about here once before. We can see so clearly it during potluck occasions in which arms are reaching, you know, into the table, and there's this sort of shoving aside of very spiritual spiritual people, do you see, um, as we get our fair share. Okay. Notice, perhaps, that you get a little selfish, a little tight, a little uh, dark, a little mentally cramped as you... Uh, begin eating? Do you become a little insulated? 
you are, of course, making decisions at that very moment on the basis of how important your the pleasure is, your pleasure. Maybe you'll miss out of your pleasure. You'll never have this opportunity again. Safety is another grounds. So logical, so clean, so supportable, so arguable. People will come and rally to your side if you point out the grounds of safety. (laughs) Fear of offending. How many decisions do you make on the grounds of fear of offending someone? Is this more important than the peace of God? Being right. Of course, in miracle says, I would rather be happy than right. Because we're not, none of these grounds are happiness. None of these grounds are peace. So become familiar with that or a hundred other grounds that I haven't mentioned. Possibly even spiritual grounds. Being beyond it. Oh, I'm beyond that, you say to yourself. And so you do this other. Quickly showing yourself that you're not beyond it. <laughs> so that's step number one. You become completely familiar with your mind. This means that you must set about to do this. You're not going to do it automatically. You won't do it simply because you heard me suggest it on Sunday morning. You will have to decide at some point during the week that you're going to spend some time this day looking at your mind and what it does and how you get yourself in trouble. Because you already know a few of your problems, or at least you think you do, Possibly you blow up. Possibly you withdraw in some sort of uh, depression or something. Turn away in sadness. Possibly you get agitated. Possibly you get anxious. Possibly you get sick over and over again. Whatever it may be. A hundred others. And you may know a few of those. But do you know... What is going on in your mind as these things come about? And is this the extent of what you may think of as your faults? This is not an unholy activity. It is a prelude to holiness, but it is an inescapable step. You must become familiar with your mind, how you are thinking, how your emotions come into being, why you feel and react the way you do, and what the patterns are. I know I've stressed this many, many times, but you're not doing it. (laughs) So look gently, without judgment, the way you would walk down an arroyo and just see the little pebbles that, that are at your feet little plants. You happen to notice in this arroyo that there are roots of some uh, pinyon tree that have uh, washed away 
and yet the tree still seems to be flourishing, and here are all these roots sticking out in midair. You pass no judgment on that. You just notice it. That's the way you want to begin looking at your mind. A good time to do that is at the end of the day and look back over what your mind has done during the day without judgment and just say, aha, I did this and I did that and I did this and aha, aha. And you just look at it. The way you would pick up a handful of little seashells that have washed into some little eddy on a beach and you just dip them up and you just see the various shells. You pass no judgment on them. You don't say, that's a good shell and that's a bad one. You just say, oh, I did this and I did that and this is the way I usually react to this. Because you do have an ego and you think your ego is you. Only by looking at it will you see you don't want it. But you will not see that if you condemn it. Because if you condemn it, you give it value and strength and importance and substance. Anytime you condemn yourself, you are grasping more tightly the fault you think you have discerned. You will get rid of nothing by saying one critical word to yourself about what you just did or thought or anything else. If you wish to keep it, then condemn it. Because by condemning it, you say that you are it. It is you. You must get rid of yourself. You must tear out your own heart. That's the premise of condemnation. It's real. If you think something's real, you will want it. You cannot reject anything that you think of as real. I don't care how horrible it appears to you. If you think it's real, you will want it because you will not reject reality. And so you must come to see what is real, what is actually you. It doesn't matter how long you've been doing this thing because once you come to look at it, it will drop away almost unnoticed. So that's step number one. Now, as you do that, you will begin to recognize how conflicted you are about everything you do during the day. And you might go through a period of not liking me because you may think that I have added misery to your life. You were just happy as could be being conflicted. And now you're noticing it and Possibly your first reaction is, well, that's just the way it is, and I'm sure it serves some good purpose. This is one of the ego's favorite arguments. First of all, <laughs> it makes something real, and then it says, it must therefore serve some purpose, and of course that's logical. If it's real, it would serve some purpose, but it's not real. That's why it serves no purpose. If it serves a purpose, you would be in hot water. You couldn't get rid of it quite so easily if it were real. It's because it's not real that you can drop it like that. So begin noticing that you have mixed feelings about every single thing you do from the time you get up in the morning. There is this swirl of voices 
How could it be otherwise? This is the way you grew up. We'll take food again as, a, as, as an example. I seem to be well-versed on that one. Uh, so there were certain foods. You were told when to eat and how much to eat. And you were badgered about this. And there were little running wars about the food as you grew up, weren't there? Maybe having to sit at the table until you finish something. Not being able to get dessert until you finish something. Little battles and so forth, weren't there? And then, of course, there were the rewards. And so the very foods over which issues, grand issues were made. Eloquent speeches from your parents' lips poured over certain foods. And then they turned around your birthday and gave them to you. Asked you to be happy. Aren't you happy? Here it is. <laughs> and all during the week you've been told this is just going to make you sick as a dog and it's going to stunt your growth and everything else. <laughs> happy birthday. Eat it all. <laughs> We are so glad you were born. Please get sick. <laughs> and if it didn't come from your parents, it came from the ads on TV or the signs along the road or from your friends or from everything else, you see. And then as you grew up, you, uh, you got the opinions of your teachers and schoolmates on foods and then you begin having experiences with foods, bad experiences. I'm sorry this happened to you, but you went into a restaurant one day and you got food poisoning and you can't eat that anymore. And then uh, you change your diet and gain weight. Oh, you can't eat those foods anymore. And uh, what else happened to you? Uh, you overindulged. I once overindulged M&M's. I can't eat an M&M anymore. It has some funny taste. I don't, they probably don't even put it in the M&M. But in my mouth, this taste just springs forward and says, Ho! <laughs> Perhaps that happened to you. Indigestion. Ah, that's when you know the flourishing period is over. <laughs> the bloom is beginning to wilt and now the very foods that you used to eat with abandon are causing indigestion. And on and on and on. And so now we, of course, have our experts listing every natural food. I'm not talking about the preservatives stuff and all this, but I'm talking about the natural things. The natural things. I made a list day before yesterday of every natural food, every vegetable and fruit and nut that I could think of that I'd either read an article warning me against or I'd heard some expert stand up and warn me against. The only thing I could think of, well, not the only thing, but the funniest thing I could think of, <laughs> there were only a few that I could think of that had not been talked against. And... Two of them were rutabaga and okra. I had not heard one whisper against okra. Even Dr. Sham eats the fried okra at furs.
Now, in that context, I must say that Dr. Shams frequently says nothing will hurt you except your thought about it. So I didn't mean it in that sense. God strike me down if I <laughs> say something against Dr. Shams. Yeah. So notice, here's the worry, 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 worry. The little bee's going around. It picks something. Time to eat dinner. Or uh, better take care of this. It, suddenly it lands on something. You do that. That's what, that what ushers you into the activity, even if it's a routine. It's time to do it now. Basis of time, you see. Ushers you into the activity. Then you make your decision on some grounds. Look over the grounds and you make your decision. None of the grounds, of course, are peace and happiness. And you pick some grounds for whatever it is. So, for example, you eat the sugar pops because of convenience. Now, as you pick convenience as your grounds, all the other ones will begin screaming bloody murder. But you have to notice it. Because all you will actually feel, unless you turn your attention to your mind, is just sort of a, a vague anxiety as each sugar pop goes down your gullet. And you won't realize what's causing this. It's because the other grounds were slighted. You should have spent the extra money and gotten the co-op granola. Why didn't you do that, you see? Every other grounds will begin... The volume goes up on them. Notice this. That's why you worry as you do it. Because you slighted all these other ego grounds. And then, like a dog that has got hold of some meatless bone. You've seen dogs do that, haven't you? It's not an ounce of meat. It doesn't want that bone for nothing. But it's got its between its teeth and it gnaws on it and looks at all the other dogs. <laughs> looks at all of them. And if it comes, it grabs the bone up again. It's lying there in the dirt. But it grabs it up again, starts chewing on it. Another dog comes along. It doesn't want the bone. Our ego gnaws on what we've just done. It goes over it and over it. Tries to find some meaning. Why did I do this? Surely this is part of the plan. Capital P. This is why I did this. It was nonsense that you did it. Forget it. <laughs> you, can't, you won't get anything by gnawing on it. But we gnaw over and over. Oh, maybe that was a mistake. All right, so what do you do? Now, here's what you do. Now, first of all, you've got to do that. You've got to see what actually goes on as you go through the day. You have to first understand, you have to begin to see just how conflicted you are. And I'm telling you, this will appall you. It will shock you once you begin to realize you cannot do anything in peace except have a diarrhea attack. <laughs> you can't do anything in peace. You can't pick up the phone. You can't answer the phone. Why don't you, What ring do you answer it on? Do you wait? <laughs> do you wait to let people know how busy a person you are? Now, here's what you do. As I say, these steps, there's nothing sacred about these steps. I'm just going to give you a way to do it. There are a hundred ways to do it. 
important thing is that you learn how to do something with peace, that you at least have one or two experiences in this next week of having done one thing without conflict. That's what the experience you want to have. Once you have that experience just a few times, you are on your way. I will not have to exhort you any further on this. You will have all the motivation you need. So here's what you do. First of all, you notice, you notice how conflicted you are. You're getting ready. You're trying to decide something. Should I do this? Should I do that? Should I do nothing? Doing nothing is a decision. Everything in this world has little streamers that go behind it. Everything has a consequence, a ramification. This is one of the reasons that your ego is so afraid of everything you do because it has consequences and ramifications. But doing nothing has consequences and ramifications. Sometimes it has fewer, but it still has some. And you can be just as afraid of them, even though there may be fewer to doing nothing on this particular occasion. But you want none. So to do nothing and have fewer is no progress at all because you have not yet experienced the peace of God in doing something. How will you know if you've experienced the peace of God? I want to describe it in several ways. Because the only way you will know, of course, is to simply experience the peace of God when you do something. I'm now talking about an activity and not about what we usually think of as meditation. It may feel like this, that you are walking an inch or two above the world sort of like walking on water so that you do not disturb even the water. It may have that feeling. It may have the feeling of having been picked up in the gentle arms of something that has always loved you and being carried through the activity. So there is no effort to it at all. There is not even any deciding about it. There's no worrying. There's no second guessing. You're just making the bed. You don't stop and do a hundred other things while you're making the bed. You don't think of anything else except making the bed. And yet your attention is not somehow cramped and held to making the bed. It's just, it is a pleasant Thing to simply look at the sheets and brush out the uh, the pillowcases and whatever else you do and pull up your, your little blanket or whatever you know the one you've used since you were seven I know this group <laughs> <laughs> you just do it you see may feel like that it may feel like we've talked about before as if the world were coming to you, as if you were sitting in some American furniture special. The great big lazy chair that leans back and it's got the little pillow that you can adjust back there, do you see? Your feet are up in the air. And here comes your life. It just comes very gently to your door. And you greet it with open arms. You fear nothing that happens. 
nothing that happens. You can laugh gently at it all and welcome it and like the personality of every event, just as you might like the personality of, of, of a cat or several cats or several dogs that you have on your, in your neighborhood. Each has its own little personality. There's no judgment there. You just like the personality of the event. It's possible to do that. It may feel like that, that the world comes to you. It may feel, as we've said here before, like the petals of a flower that open one by one. And so your attention goes to each petal as it opens. Unless you have had that kind of feeling, a feeling of no care in the world, there isn't anything else you would rather be doing, and yet there is no sense of attachment to doing this. If something comes along right in the middle of it, you do not have the ego grounds of having to complete everything that you do, every book that you read and everything else, and see every movie to the end because you paid your good $3 and all that. None of that stuff's going on. And so there's nothing else you'd rather do, but if something comes along and it's obvious that it would be good for you to step in this direction for a few minutes, you do so without even thinking about it. There is no hitch in the movement to take care of this other thing. That is the feeling. And in order to have that feeling, you must be absolutely sure about what you're about to do. So here's what I'd suggest that you do. You notice that you're in conflict. Sit down. Close your eyes. And use whatever technique you wish to quieten your mind. We mentioned uh, several last time. So use anything. Just listen to the sounds around you. Just be aware of the sensations in your body and, uh, and of your breathing, perhaps. Perhaps you would like to say a few words of truth to yourself. Say the words of truth, perhaps, in the midst of the silence. I'm going to ask you to try that right now. We've tried this once before. We're going to do this very, very briefly, but I want you just to have this experience. So first of all, use whatever mental trick you would like to, to quieten your mind. And then say the words of truth to yourself. Any words of truth. First the silence, and then out of the silence, speak the truth. Perhaps say, I know in my heart that... I am as peaceful as God. Whatever other words of truth you wish to say. You know plenty of words of truth. So I'll be quiet for just a moment and do that now. Okay. You, sing, you see how true they ring? When you're first silent, I'm not prescribing that you first start with silence. This is just one of many, many things that you can do. But notice that when you're still, the words of truth ring more true. Do you see that? Why? Because you can hear your heart now. You know that, this, that the truth is true in your heart. 
It's only on the surface of your mind that, that you forget it and doubt it. And so this is what you do as you go through the day. You pause whenever you see you're in conflict. Bring your mind to rest till it's absolutely still. And you know when your mind is still. You know when it's still. Just bring it to peace, to stillness. There's no magical state or degree. Just peace and quiet. Perhaps say some words of truth to yourself, if you wish. Then pick up the issue. The little issue about whether or not you should have toast or whether or not you should do the bed first or whatever it is. Whether you should do this task at the office first or this other task or should you take your coffee break. Anything, whatever it is, no matter how small or how great it is, you take it up now. Your eyes are still closed. You take it up just like you might pick up something that meant nothing to you in particular, but you pick it up. You simply choose it. In the stillness, it will not mean so much. It will not be quite so real and important. And so you pick it up in the stillness. You pick it up. And then you say, what would I like to do? Those are terrifying words to the ego. What would I like to do? And you look in your heart and simply see what you want to do. In peace you see this. This is a much higher form of guidance than trying to get some message. Because you are turning to your peace, the peace of God, yourself. It's far less jolting than trying to use some fancy psychical trick. Just look to your peace and say, what would I like to do? It's okay to ask yourself any question about it. Any general question, will this make things easier for me if I do this? Without thinking about it, you just ask the question. You don't get into an analysis of the thing. Will this add to my peace? Will it add to my peace? Is this a happy thing? Can I do this happily? Anything like that. Now, if you see that you can't do that, if you can see, you still are very conflicted about this little teeny thing, and you will get, be you'll be exasperated because you will think, I should be able to do this little thing in peace because I've been doing it all my life. But you've been doing it all of your life in conflict. Now you're trying to do it in peace. That's a whole different thing. Now the peace is more important than the thing you're doing. And so if you see you can't do it, perhaps you go back and hear your ego out. Say, all right, let me hear. What is it you're saying? What is it you think I should do? Hear all the arguments out without getting caught up in them. Just list them to yourself, perhaps. What is it you're afraid of about this little teeny thing? Flossing your teeth. Here you're conflicted about it. Your ego will try to rush you into a decision. Whenever you feel like you must do it quickly... I can promise you this is coming from your ego. 
Then you begin doing the thing in peace, happily. And what have you selected to do? You have selected the guidance, if you wish to call it that, is this. It's sort of like this. It might be nice to do so-and-so. That's the way it feels. It's like having a stack of books on your bedside table. And these are all nice books. You like all of them. And you, you've got a few minutes before you're going to go to sleep. And you look over at your stack of books. And you just pick one. You say, oh, I think I'll read this tonight. And you read a little bit of it. And then perhaps you say, well, I think I'll put that down and read something else. That is guidance. It's, it would be happy to do this. It's not, you're going to get slapped around by God if you don't do so-and-so. Which many people on a spiritual path say in some form. Of course, they don't say it that way. But they think that there's some danger, that there's some narrow little path of events they're supposed to do. All you're supposed to do is be happy. And so, you just had this feeling, oh, that would be nice to do. Or perhaps, well, I could do this and this and this. I think I'll do this. No hesitation, do you see? And you just do it. And now you have this feeling of being picked up, of it not having a care in the world, until the conflict comes in again, and it will come in. As soon as it does, sit down once again. Become peaceful. And see what it is you want to do. Let me deal with a couple of, of fears. Possibly you've already heard this objection in your mind as I was speaking. This is going to take a lot of time. No, and you'll just have to find this out for yourself. It will not take a lot of time. You will actually get more done than you ordinarily get done during the same period of time because you will do it without conflict and so you'll do it quickly and easily. Now you'll have to experience that for yourself because it doesn't seem logical that by adding all this pausing which is a temporary stage that you must go through that you would actually get more accomplished. But you will. And secondly, you will begin eliminating the thousand and one things that you don't need to be doing. And you've always done them and you've always thought this was a part of life. And suddenly, it's not a part of life anymore. You just have dropped this because you're never peaceful about doing it. Not because you've made some decision to cut this out of your life and then suffered the consequences of a sense of sacrifice. But every time you sit down, you just don't end up doing that particular thing because something happier comes to mind. Something you would rather do comes to mind. And without even noticing it, it's gone from your life. You don't even see it going, except one day you look back and you say, golly, I'm not doing such and such anymore. And that used to be an absolute regular part of my life. And it's just not there anymore. Isn't that interesting? 